It's time for Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games Podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 185. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. Before we forget, right off the bat, welcome Claire, new patron. Woo! Thank you, Claire. Thanks for joining us. And you, sir, currently have half a numb face. Yes, this is um, Root Canal Cast. <laughs> root Cast. <laughs> that sounds painful. Just the words Root Canal. Oof. Yeah, it sounds it sounds bad. Um, I have to say, though, like as much you know, fear-mongering <laughs> that happens around root canals, I don't find them to be that painful. Do you like them? I don't love them. <laughs> Do you like pain? <laughs> Are you I like, have, harder, doctor? <laughs> I have a high pain tolerance, I think. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uncomfortable. I don't like sitting in a chair for a couple hours and getting my tooth drilled on, but, <laughs> you know. But I heard you got to watch a movie. That's pretty cool. I did. I've never had that at the dentist. Yeah, my dentist is pretty fancy. He uh he's got like a flat screen TV and so, um and I guess they have like an Amazon Prime subscription so they were like you know browse and you know watch whatever you want. Oh, I bet the FBI is going to shut that down. This is for you only. Yeah, only true. the person who pays the Amazon bill. <laughs> Everyone else is under arrest, and you owe two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's true. I didn't really think about that. That's probably <laughs> some violation of some kind of license. I still think though that your dentist was uh, secretly the torturing kind, like Steve Martin from. Uh oh crap. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> Rick Moranis. Audrey Two. Oh, uh Little the, Shop of Horrors. Yes. Why do words escape me during the <laughs> Lost Cast? Uh yeah, because your doctor had you watch Batman v Superman. Oof. Man. Well, I I chose it. <laughs> That's rough. What? <laughs> you are a masochist. <laughs> well, there's like a bunch of other crap on there that I didn't want to see either. So No, I can't. I, I saw it in the theaters. I've just Oh, you know, okay. It wasn't good. What no, did you think? Uh, I thought it was crap. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, I, I, I don't like Ben Affleck. I don't like Superman. I hate Superman just as a general <laughs> principle. I think he's like the worst superhero. He's like it's so contrived. Yeah, he's immune to everything except for this one weird crystal. He is a perfect man. He's infallible. Yeah, he's like goody two shoes. Yeah, and he like wears the stupidest costume. Anyways, he's a terrible superhero. <laughs> And uh, I don't really like DC uh, at all, really. Like most wow. of the superheroes, I think. So are why lame. did why did you subject yourself to this? You don't you you like no part of it going into it. Yeah, really nothing. Um, you were well, like, you know what? If I'm getting my teeth drilled anyway, let's just let's go all the way. But I also want to stand on keep nails. on the pain. <laughs> why, Jeff? I don't know. I was like, well, you know, like I, I'm in the dentist's office, and they're like, do you want to watch a movie while we're doing this? And I'm like, sure. And they're like, you know, all right, here, like pick. And like, I didn't want to like sit there and like comb through all the movies so i was like you know, i looked at the first page and i was like sure that one right like i vaguely like superheroes and, and crap so <laughs> there you go <laughs> love it no yeah but it was awful well you're talking very well sir you don't sound like i was expecting oh i'm jeff you know <laughs> drooling all over <laughs> oh, blah, blah. No, no you sound good uh yeah i actually you know I, i'm really numb I'm I'm guessing that halfway through this podcast, I'm gonna like start <laughs> screaming in pain when I start feeling my mouth again. <laughs> oh God, what's happened to me? Uh, something to look forward to. Yes. Later in Lost Cast. Also later in Lost Cast, my new prototype. Ooh. Yes. Turn my phone off, but I didn't. Uh, you had a trip as well, sir. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's been kind of a busy uh week. So uh, I went to Big Bear to celebrate my anniversary with Melissa, obviously. 
and uh, by by yourself. We went together, <laughs> and uh, we rented got a cabin on Airbnb. Ooh, yeah, and we went up there for a couple of days, and we went jet skiing on Big Bear Lake. Oh man, and uh, that was a lot of fun. And it was great because it's like middle of the week, so there's like no one there. Yeah, had just like free reign of the lake, just you know cranking that jet ski all around. It was great. Mm. I was a lot of fun. We uh, you know did some kind of sightseeing and hiking and uh, touristy stuff. Ate a bunch of really good food. Did and it make you want to make a game about jet skiing? Uh, funnily enough, no. What was it? Although uh, I Wave did, Runner. Yes, Wave Runner sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. Had such pretty water, and that was at a time when water didn't normally look that good. I remember they spent a ton of time on the water. You know, I'm guessing that if we went back, it would look uh, like butts, right? Yeah, yeah. Ugh, this is the worst looking water I've ever seen. But yeah. at the time, quite impactful. Well, it's like you know we were talking about Mario sixty four the other day, and I was bemoaning right. how it was like. <laughs> looked awful, you know. Virtua Fighter, we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Uh, plus, I think like Mario Sunshine, the water looked amazing, and I think it was very underrated. Hmm. Like you know, Mario sixty four was like deeply beloved, right? And then Mario Sunshine had as a Mario game it was a big hit, right? But I think that it was kind of seen as uh, not one of the best. But I thought it was really good, very hmm. solid, beautiful. I feel like I remember you talking about that game. I don't think I've ever played it or have had the inclination to play it. Wow. What's the, so what's the last Mario game you played? Uh, like, seriously? Yeah. Like, like, one of the canon Mario games, right? Like, not Mario Party. I might count... A, not, not even Mario Kart. I'm talking about the Mario games. So let's say, like, you know, New Super Mario Brothers, Mario Galaxy. None I, of the new ones, huh? I tried to play Mario Galaxy, but I played about 10 minutes of it and I didn't like it. Wow. Um, and before that... I guess Mario 64. And wow. Then I think the last, and, and even the, even Mario 64, I played it at someone else's house a bit because I didn't have my own Nintendo 64. Right. So the last Mario game that I actually really played heavily uh, was Super Mario World 3. What? Or Super Mario Bros. 3 on, on the original NES. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't even have uh, a Super Nintendo. I had a Genesis because my parents were like, you get one of these two. Yeah, we were like that too. We ended up getting a Super Nintendo a couple of years later, but there was that big delay, and I felt that deeply. It was like it hurt me as a kid to know <laughs> to know that Zelda three was out there, yeah. and I wasn't playing it. You know, and I remember we got a Genesis, and I think it was the kind of decision where it was like, at the time, Genesis was significantly cheaper. Yeah, uh, just because of the you know the sales and promotions or whatever. And to my family, that you know made a big difference. So we jumped on it, and I was just like, "Yeah, new video game, let's do it!" Sonic the Hedgehog, let's go! And then you know, hey Matt, you know, Super Nintendo means there's gonna be super versions of all your favorite games, including Mario and Zelda. And I'm like, "What? No!" <laughs> so I just cried for two years straight. Yeah, I can I can imagine we Matt Hackett. I yeah, I wonder if that had is one of the reasons that Link to the Past had a deeper impact on me is because of that delayed satisfaction, you know, because by the time I finally did get to play it, I was like, Oh my God, I've only seen it at friends houses and like, you know, read about in magazines. And now I, I get like, I get to spend time with it myself, man. Good stuff. It had a deep impact on me. A deep impact. Like the Game. movie deep impact. <laughs> you know, I watched that not that long ago. Really? I like it. Yeah. I kind of like uh, end of the world movies, mm. especially ones that, you know, Slightly involves space or science, even if it's not <laughs> the most accurate. <laughs> quote, I like quote science. Right, yeah. No, I do. I like that one. It's yes. good. Anywho, very uh, wistful cast. <laughs> right. 
let's get into my prototype. Uh, we were talking briefly before the podcast. Um, I feel like it's too early to talk about, and which I, probably means it's the right time. Or, right? yeah, maybe. Or it's too late. <laughs> or it's too late. <laughs> no. We don't know. Who, who, who even knows when the right time to like talk about yeah. to, to start marketing is? I mean, maybe someone knows, but it's not oh, us. Oh, people know. <laughs> people know. <laughs> but not us. Yeah, other people know. So, all right, let's just let's jump in. I uh it's one of those things I'm really nervous about. Well, let's talk about. It. <sighs> okay. What? <is laughs> so, it? here's the name of it. It's called Game of Development. Game of Development. You want the pitch? I've been working on my pitch too. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. Develop your own games for fame and fortune. Oh, that's I like, it. I like fame and fortune. <laughs> those are cool things. Yeah. Short, snappy, and to the point. Uh, to further it, like on Steam Greenlight, I've got, uh, not that it's live yet, I've got design your game by hand, publish it on a fantasy marketplace like Steam, make a fortune, and buy better game development tools. So is this a game dev tycoon? <sighs> See, that's the thing, man. One of these days, I'd like to make a game that doesn't just bring up <laughs> like another game. Well, it's hard. I don't, I mean, else... I, I've played your prototype, and the only reason I say that, it's nothing like game dev tycoon, but... You know, just because you started mentioning game dev as a game. Yeah. I had to ask that question. What is funny, I wonder if there's just like a threshold for time because uh, game dev story, the initial release date, April 1997. And I would be surprised if game dev tycoon, I mean, it very well could be this wholly original thing, Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if that one was inspired by game dev story. But I think game dev tycoons done a really good job of kind of owning game dev. You know, like you look at Steam, it is far and away the best seller. There's even a game on there by a different developer called uh, Game Tycoon 2, hmm. which like it almost, I don't know what the story is, so Tiger Head on, but it, might, it almost looks like someone was like, man, Game Dev Tycoon is doing gangbusters. Oh, yeah. How do we well, make people think that like, hey, buy this one? It's kind of like part of the industry now, right? Like if you look at the mobile market, that's how it works, right? It's right. like, you know, Clash of Clans, and then you've got Clan Warfare 2. Yeah. Clan Destine <laughs> Clashing 4. There's that movie uh, development company. Is it called? It's the Asylum, I want to say. And they do that where, let's say Transformers is coming out. Yeah. They'll, they'll come up with like transmogrifiers. Transmogrifiers. <laughs> or like War of the Worlds and they'll be like War of the Planets. Yeah. And their whole thing is it's very important for them to be on the same shelf, like at a blockbuster. Probably more... <laughs> Like back when that was a bigger thing. Right, right. When blockbusters weren't closing left and right, but their whole thing was they're on the shelf and either A, oh, they're out of War of the Worlds because you're always out of the newest releases and I'll just settle for this one or I accidentally picked up the wrong movie and, and they got my money. Right, yeah. But that was that's like a business model that, that enabled this company to make multiple movies, to make tons of money, you know? Yeah, and I think the mobile market is is very similar, right? Like, yeah, you search for like, oh, I wanted to play that. Like, my friend told me it was a game about clans or something that he wanted to play with me. So, like, right, you search for clans and you get bajillion results. Yeah, and you know, Steam is not immune to that. No, not at all. I think that you know, it's weird because like, I, I I wonder how much people use the search functionality on Steam and and mobile. It'd be interesting yeah. to know. I would like to know that too. Or. I feel like I've heard that uh, with mobile, it's like the top charts are kind of the driving force. You know, most people don't dig in very deep. Right. Um, I feel like Steam is probably not the same, but mm. I'm, I'm sure it has a very similar kind of, like it, maybe the Steam audience digs a little deeper. I, I think they're both very similar in that top placement is killer. 
Yeah, that's and true. any other placement you can get, just do it, right? Like we've talked before about the visibility rounds, or you know, uh, app stores used to be big on oh, recently updated. But what they realized was people were doing this crap where they would just update their app every day and be like, "Fix bugs, fix bugs." Right. Even if there was no changes, they just wanted the discovery in that list, and so it kind of made that feature moot. So they, <laughs> I think they quit, you know, doing that. I wonder if anyone submitted updates that were like bump. <laughs> Right. Bump lol. Bump lol. First. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good tactic, right? Like, it's that visibility is so valuable, as we know, because the whole thing is like, you know, if enough people knew about a wizard lizard, we'd be doing super great, right? That's the whole problem is that we discoverability, just, right? Discoverability, yeah. Yeah. Anywho, so I went through some uh, versions of this game. Um, this is not to surprise anybody. The earlier prototypes were quite different than what's currently there. And the initial kind of project name I was going with was Game Dev Tail, which was, uh, I was calling it GDT for quite a while. And uh, what I realized later is that's actually the same acronym for Game Dev Tycoon, the game it's probably going to get compared to the most, right? And so like Greg, our marketing guy, he was really pushing me away from Game Dev. He's like away from Game Dev and towards Indie Game, which yeah. I think is pretty wise. And so for a while, I was also going with Indie Game Sim, which I do think is a pretty solid name. But I think... What I like about game of development is a couple things. For one, there's like some hidden references and crap in there that I like. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was like, as I got away from game dev, it just didn't, it doesn't feel right. It feels like a retreat, you know, like, oh, there's game dev tycoon. And that came out four years ago. So I can't call my game anything having to do with game dev. I don't like it. It, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. And so I was like, game dev sim, that's too, something I don't like about it. Um, plus, I'm not like a big sim player. And I don't even know that the sim part feels almost like an afterthought because the real meat of the game is this game editor that lets you make your own little game. You know? I was going to say, like, it's a weird comparison, right? Because your game isn't really like a simulator game. Yeah, exactly. Not in the sense that, like, if you're looking for a game where you tweak some sliders and press some numbers and then you see other numbers go up. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not exactly like that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot more complicated. And I really want it to be mostly about making your own little games. Yeah. So let me describe the game. It is super lo-fi. The resolution is 256 by 144. It's really tiny. That's 16 by 9, 16 by 16 pixel tiles. It's tiny. Yes, that is minuscule. Minuscule. So much to the point where like, I, uh, when I include text, I have to be very terse, which um, what I've found repeatedly, I've thought about changing the resolution. I've made it bigger a few times and I've prototyped around with that. And I ended up going back to that trunk and size. What I like is the limitation. That's what I found. I think it's one of the only reasons the game is in as playable a state as it is now is because of that decision early on to be very limiting. Yeah. Uh, because anytime I have a lot of space to fill, I'll be like, easy peasy. You know, it's not that much space really. And stuff like uh, menu boxes, you know, you can go a long way with big pixels and, and looking pretty nice. I mean, for what it is, right? Right. <clears throat> um, the problem is that some people are just really turned off by that retro aesthetic. Uh, but I. I don't know. I, I'm not really trying to find that person, I think, you know? You're trying I, to find the other Matt Hackett's in yeah, the world that want to play. It. That's it. <laughs> exactly. That you made. Yeah, I'm finally starting to be comfortable with having really opinionated, kind of polarizing decisions and just owning them, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to apologize for the game being lo-fi or retro. Like, that's it is what it is, and it's that way because, for one, I can actually finish it in that capacity, and for two, I really like the the look and feel of it. Yeah. Well, you've you been know? kind of like, you know... I feel like when we talk about pixel art, you know, you've always been 
like one foot in each door, you know, you're like, yeah. I still really like it and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I think part of my feeling was that it was getting played out. And I, I have to admit too, around 2014, 2015, I was really turned on by the art styles that I was, you know, surrounding myself with and the ones I was experimenting with, like the really cartoony, the smooth lines and stuff. I liked that a whole lot too. The problem is it doesn't, it's not inherently video gamey, you know, and it like my love of cartoons and anime and stuff like that does not eclipse my love of video games like that's first and foremost to me i don't know man it's it's a hard it's a hard call but i went with lo-fi and i regret nothing (laughs) (laughs) i regret nothing so the way the game works is uh you create a little account and you are the developer so for me let's say i create like oh i'm ldg right and then it's basically your desktop that's what it is it looks like windows 95 and you've got this little news app and the news app will tell you uh, when you have new applications coming in or when you've unlock something or whatever and the first thing it says is um you have a new game editor hey install the game editor so you install it and the shortcut appears on your desktop you click into it and you can create new games and then you've got a simple little editor where you can place tiles it's in a very simple side-scrolling platformer interface and you start off with just like uh, a solid tile an empty tile there's a starting point where your character begins there's an end point where your character needs to reach is the goal and then there's also some spikes that move around that you can play with. And uh, what I think is really interesting is even with just the moving spikes, you can already create incredibly difficult gameplay. The kind that's just obnoxiously hard, like <laughs> like Donkey Kong style, right? Like right. the later, like the elevator levels where you're just like, that's impossible! Where you have like this, you know, like two pixel, like... window window of precision that you have to hit or else you're dead. Exactly. Even with the bare minimum tools, there's like, there's four entities you can play. Start, uh, goal, solid tile, and then then like the moving spikes. Even with just those pieces, you can make incredibly difficult gameplay. Not to say it's the most compelling, but the challenge being there is a good start, right? Right. So you make your game. You just create one. You call it whatever you want. There's a bunch of options you can unlock, like a lighting... And darkness, you can choose different characters to play as. You can change the background color. There's all kinds of different tiles and entities you can unlock. Uh, after you create your game, the news app tells you there's a new store application that you can install the store. So you install the store, you go to it. There's a free item you can buy. There's a bunch of tiles you can buy. Uh, most stuff is locked or you otherwise just can't afford it. And that's that's pretty much the, unless the game will be it. Next, you get the news application to tell you that there is a new online store called The Vault which is a play on Valve for Steam. And um, Vault is meant to look a little bit like Steam, like a super, you know, retro lo-fi version of it. Yeah. So you go into Vault and there's a game there, but you can't play it yet because you need money to buy it. So you publish your first game and you get some money that way. You get rated on various things like uh, how long the game lasts, uh, how many entities there are in the level, how many unique entities what kind of like jumping there was. It basically just looks at all the metrics that it has and it gives you a rating based on that. It also, and this is important for uh, game development, I think, at least indie game development, is uh, the rating you get is also based on your competitors. So if your competitors have all these cool tools, like they've got bouncers and vertical spikes and uh, fragile rocks and interval rocks and all this crazy stuff in their, in their games, your game's not going to do as well because there's, it has more unique stuff in it. Does that make sense? Yes. I think this is really cool uh, because, you know, I'm not a fan of games like Game Dev Tycoon that much. And not that it's a bad game. I think it's, a, it's an excellent game, but... It's not your flavor. It's not my flavor, yeah. And so what I appreciate about, appreciate about your prototype is that you're actually making 
playable levels, right? Like, right. Instead of like, I, I've never really gotten into the idea that like, oh, you pick like, I'm gonna make an FPS and it's gonna be. 3d and it's going to have this engine and it's going to be for nintendo and like here's a slider of how much the graphics are you know how good the graphics are going to be and here's a slider of how difficult the game will be or whatever yeah i don't know those number sims just never really appealed to me but uh the simplicity of like you know a really nice essentially platform level editor uh, is a lot of fun yeah i think so too it's just yeah something inherently not exciting about me to me about moving the sliders around you know i do like the results it is it's all in your head you know i think if you're a really imaginative person maybe someone likes reading a lot you will see that screen right like oh select do you want you know first person shooter or rts or whatever and you know your brain is lighting up and you're you're having a great time in your head you know right but i think to me yeah i want to see a little bit more game design and development in there that kind of thing i don't think you put as much personality into it though right like you can't express yourself that much right like right the only ways you get to express yourself are with like the name of the game. Uh, and, and when I've played those games before, like I always called it something stupid, you know, it was like shooter one. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds exciting. Shooter two. Ooh, the, the shootering, <laughs> the, the shootering. <laughs> wow. I would play both those. I would play your shooter franchise, Jeff. Would you? Oh yeah. That's, line me up. <laughs> well then I'm going to go get to work right now. Sweet. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, so that's that's the whole game loop, is you make a game, you publish it in the store. Oh, wait. No, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't close the loop yet. Uh-oh. When you publish your game in Vault, you then uh, have money. And then you can go and you can buy your, pub- your competitor's games that are also in the market. And every time you publish a game, a competitor is published with you. And... The reason you would want to play their games is because when you play their games, they each introduce a new game dev tool, and when you beat that game, you unlock it, and then you can buy that in the store, take that back to the editor, make a new game, go back into Vault, publish a game, play your competitor's game, unlock a new item, buy it in the store, make a new game. That's the game loop. Right. (laughs) I hope that makes sense. (laughs) So let me explain where all this came from. Uh, As I said, the earlier versions, the prototype was called Game Dev Tail. And it was a lot weirder than it is now. And I think that my, my, my thinking is that some people will kind of hear this early version and be like, oh, that sounds cooler. And it kind of does to me too, but it got out of hand. Like, it's the kind of thing that you know, I would need way more time to, to actually do. Right. Uh, I hope I get to someday. But here was the general concept is you're a little boy. You're, it's kind of me. You're kind of little Matt. And you live in this little neighborhood, and there's little characters you can go talk to. And they have dialogue trees, which I mentioned in an earlier Lost Cast. Here's where this is coming from. And it was like, you know, you live in a house with your sibling, which would represent my brothers. Uh, You live in there with uh, your parents. There's a school nearby. There's a neighborhood to hang out. And the thing is, uh, you've got your computer at home, and there's a game editor on there. And your friends, they want you to make games for them. And they'll be like, hey, make me a game with a bunch of spikes. And you do that and you give it to them. They're like, hey, thanks. Here's, you know, 10 bucks. And then you take that to a local store. You have to actually physically go there, like walk there in the game. And then that's where you buy your game dev tools. Right. Like the darkness and the new entities and the platforms and all that jazz. So it was like, you know, like a Pokemon style view of the world or something. Yes. Yeah. It was like a three quarter overhead view. And that's where the map editor started too. Uh, So like when you were making games, they weren't side-scrolling platformer games. They were overhead Right. Kind of like, you know, Soul Thief, right? Uh, 
boy, did that get out of hand fast. I also had a feature at some point where you could turn on gravity. So then I had two different types of game modes, which I'm sure will also sound cool to some people and might be a thing, but I'm trying to lower my surface area. You know what I mean? Like that early yeah. version, it had so many characters. It had a ton of dialogue. It had a lot of different ways to go about unlocking things. It really needed to be this kind of rich feeling neighborhood you know, with lots of stuff to do and hidden secrets. And all of this was distracting away from the editor. Right. And yeah. that is the meat of the game, as I mentioned earlier. It is all about the editor because everything else is just kind of menus. You know, like we were saying earlier, if sliders don't interest you or if like just pressing buttons isn't that cool, like that is really what the rest of the game is. It's kind of just navigating this computer that has applications on it. You know, it's very streamlined, Right? Like you can really get from one place to another very quickly, but it, I don't think it's the kind of gameplay that would excite people. It's really just kind of menu driven. Right. And so it puts a lot of weight on the editor, right? Like you're placing tiles, you're designing your own game, you're moving very quickly, you're playing it rapidly. And that's really what the game needs to be doing very well. And so the early version um, was kind of distracting away from that. So I veered into more like. I like the idea of going back to the computer, and there's a lot you can do with that. So I'm just going to make the whole damn thing on the computer. Yeah, I think that was the right decision because, you know, we always talk about developing two games in one and things like that. Yeah. And that's, like, certainly a case where that, that's apparent, right? Right. You've got this editor, which is one game. You know, use your tiles to make games that meet such and such criteria. Yeah. And then you've got this whole other game, which is, like, walk around in this overhead map and talk to people. And like right. go to like you have to make all those maps, you have to make all those characters, you have to make all those dialogue trees. Exactly. Which you know that's an interesting thing, but it detracts, like you said, from the meat and potatoes of this idea, which is like use this editor and acquire these tiles and objects that you can use to make your own games. Right. Yeah, it was just too much. I, I do think it was the right decision. I do kind of still want to make that little story about my childhood. It would obviously not be very. Um, accurate you know it would be more like one like uh, i would combine characters right like i had i was lucky to have a bunch of friends when i was younger who lived in my neighborhood and i wouldn't have you know like all 10 of them or something i would have like three of them and i would combine them you know that kind of a thing and also um stuff was a little more fantastic right like uh in the prototype i had one of my friends um whose name was joey he wasn't really a human he, he was kind of this little goblin looking thing <laughs> Not, not that I I'm not saying Joey was a goblin. That's just where, like, what I'm saying is, like, it was kind of oddly creative, right? Like, my, my creativity was taking me in places that I was like, that's strange. And I just went with it. Oh, there was also a purple dragon. Who was that? Doug. Yeah, there was this kid who used to uh, Doug pick the up, dragon. Yeah, you Doug, know. Doug the dragon. Doug used to pick on me in uh, grade school. And then one day we became great friends. And then after that, we used to play Street Fighter together. And I always thought he was kind of weird because he's like this bull, like befriended bully, you know? Mm. And I was like, what better than a purple dragon? That's interesting. <laughs> that kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. Huh. So I do want to bake a little more weirdness uh, into game of development. Yes. So maybe I'll get to, um, I think it's really ripe for Easter eggs, especially. One thing I want to do is uh, I want to get games made by people I know and respect, like yourself, sir. Man, that was a missed opportunity. Mr. Blair. <laughs> Free to, free to oh, set throw, myself up. Throw some know. shade at me. <laughs> set yourself up for a joke. Yes. <laughs> Pitch it to myself. Yeah. Hit it out of the park. Yeah. Good, <laughs> good job, Matt. That's right. No, but like you make a game and then I can hide it somewhere in the game. Like if you do a certain thing or if you name a game a certain thing or if you click a certain place and then your game just gets whoop kind of published and put into the market. Yeah. That'd be you fun. Know, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's a good idea. 
But Uh-oh. the thing that gives me pause when you're talking about it is like making it really hidden. Mm. I feel like, um, you know, in today's market, especially like, you know, when we're not creating games that have insane amounts of depth, you know? Yeah. I feel like really, really hidden content is good in games like Final Fantasy VII or something. Hmm. Where it's like, you know, oh, if you take this one materia all the way to level blah, and then you go to this island that you can only reach with a special thing, and you do blah, 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 blah. Then you get, you know, Knights of the Round or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like in the kind of games we make, it's it feels like we bury things too much, I think. Hmm. And, and it's like that content could be interesting. And, you know, I don't know if it's maybe like, uh, if, you, if you look at the Legend of Zelda games and how like they've gotten progressively less hidden, you know? with their secrets and stuff like that. Like, uh, I feel like that's, that, that trend happens for a reason. Hmm. And so I, I would say that like, you should not put it like completely front and center, but make it like that kind of stuff should be easily discoverable by anybody who plays the game a decent amount of time. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. I don't know exactly what your plans were for how hidden it would be. It's just, that's something that's occurred to me lately about, you know, I feel like in a Wizards Lizard one, we have a bunch of stuff that is, um, you know, it's difficult to find, and it's yeah. it's hard because you know when we talk about Splunky, you know, th- there's some of that stuff that is really esoteric, and then you can only learn by playing a lot, and and even then, you may not even realize what's happening until someone tells you how the pieces fit together. Right. Um. But you know, I think Splunky is kind of like a, as like a sleeper hit in some ways. You know, like it, it really did well with the hardcore audience. Yeah. Um, but even when it was on XBLA, I think it wasn't one of the highest selling games on XBLA. No, it sold something like half as well as Braid. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, and, you know, since then it's been on Steam and uh, I think at least PSP, if not PS4 as well. So, I'm, I'm, you know, it's made a bunch of money, but I think you're right. It's got that thing where it's like, it didn't sell as well as people expected because like as beloved as it is by people like us, we would have thought like, oh, that thing's probably selling millions of copies. And I'm like, you know, you look at Steam, I don't think it's yet hit a million. I think it would be more interesting in, in game of development if like some of the characters that, <clears throat> you know, you might have making games for you or, or making levels for you, like the, the player would encounter those things in the natural progression of the game. Hmm. It's like, oh, if you get a, an hour into the game, like you're absolutely going to see, you know, Jim's game or something. Right. And mm. like you'll see and, and maybe it would be even cool to see like a recurring theme like man this gym guy is always outselling me on on vault. Yeah. Right? And like you know uh kind of you get that like prolonged antagonistic relationship where yeah. like the player really wants to one up this gym guy whoever he is. Right. <laughs> so the early version of my game there was a little bit of a story along with it. Uh you start off in your mats and you're going to school and a uh, the world's famous game designer is coming to speak at your school. And that's kind of like the catalyst that starts you getting into games right. and game development. And, you know, the way the game is set up, that's kind of your person to beat, right? You know how, like, Mega Man X, um, it shows you... Um, oh, I forget the... It's not Proton. Zero? Zero. It shows you Zero in the beginning. You're like, whoa, look at that. He's got all these amazing powers. I want to be like that someday. Yeah. And then the rest of the game is all about piecing together, you know, your gear and being that good, right? And that was going to be kind of the thinking there. Current version doesn't really have that as much. Right. Yeah. I uh, I always love those setups. Yeah. I think that, you know, I've, I've probably said this on the podcast before. And um, <laughs> I'm going to say it again. So deal with it. 
<laughs> you snap your fingers. Yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> The Force Unleashed, right? Like you play, you, the intro to that game is like you play a Darth Vader. Right. And you're just wrecking this Wookiee village with your awesome Force powers. And then, so fun. Then they, you know, then the actual game starts and you're like the apprentice and you're weak and stuff, but you're always, you know, hungry to get back to that place right. of power. That's great. It starts off strong. It lets you know what you could have. I remember Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap, did that. You start off the first dungeon and you're super powered. You have a ton of heart containers. You're like one-shotting most things. And then you get cursed and turn into a dragon. You have one heart and you're all wimpy. I'm just a little baby dragon. Love yeah, it. Yeah, Good stuff. Yeah. It's definitely uh, lacking in that department. So I began the playtest on Patreon this week as well. Very cool. How did that yep. go? Good feedback. Always appreciate people checking out my stuff and giving me words. Giving me words. <laughs> I think it's the kind of situation where uh, it's a it's about what I expected with regards to like, you know, people just want more, right? Yeah. Like, okay, cool. Like, good progress. What's next? And I, I'm mentally in a point where like I I always want everything I'm doing to be done, <laughs> ship it. But that's the problem. Is like, um, and it reaffirms my decision early on to make that decision right to simplify to yes. scope down it's just gonna be the computer it's not gonna be this big you know <laughs> overworld with all these characters and stuff uh just because there is there's so much left to do like i would guess right now the game probably has it depends a lot on how much time you want to spend on your games versus just kind of breezing through it uh but there could be a couple of hours of gameplay there yep maybe think... for some people three or four but that's not going to satisfy most gamers most gamers no. expect 10 plus I, I was gonna say yeah i think that you know it kind of highlights something to me that like I've noticed about our games and the way we design games is that we tend to, and I think Soul Thief is, is a perfect example of this, is like we tend to spend too much time on the mechanics and the interactions and, and those things. And, and even though that we've simplified Soul Thief from where it used to be with like things like mana and other resources and whatnot, you know, we still spent way more time on like the setup and the mechanics and the interactions than we did on the actual content. Mm -hmm. right it's like i think that we need to be in a place where the mechanics are simpler but the experience is longer right there there's it's a simpler mechanic but there's more meat on the mm. bone interesting yeah 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 and i like, think and, you're right and and i think i think you're absolutely right like i would not feel comfortable launching a game on steam that in the, this day and age that didn't have at least 10 10 plus hours of gameplay for sure uh, just because, like, yeah, I think that, you know, most people, I, I notice myself, right? Like, I, even the games I don't play a lot, um, I usually spend, unless I hate them, right? If if I hate them, I only spend, <laughs> like, an hour playing them. But if I yeah. like a game, I'll spend at least 10 to 15 hours playing it, probably. Right. Yeah, same. And uh, I think it's, a, I think it took me between 10 and 20 hours to beat Shovel Knight. I think it took me about 10 or 15 hours to beat Invisible Ink. And that felt like, you know, a good amount of time. And not only that, not only that, but those games also gave me a door to more content, right? So, like, I beat Shovel Knight in, you know, 10 to 20 hours, like I said. But then there was New Game Plus. Right. And a whole bunch of achievements, right? So, that, that there's ways that I could play through the game again. And, and really, the New Game Plus in Shovel Knight is, like, it's the exact same game. Everything is the same, except for uh, you don't get as many checkpoints in each level. Right. Like that's that's a pretty brilliant use of content, I think, because it makes the the levels much much harder, right? It's um, so simple, yeah. But it's it's a simple tweak, right? Like you you 
get to experience the level uh, that was built, you know, once, but you get to play it multiple times through and it feels different. You could totally implement that in a day, right? You could be like, okay, you beat the game. Here's a flag. We're going to add an option for new game plus, And then we're going to go through and mark these check marks or uh, checkpoints as, you know, this one disappears in new game plus mode. So does this one. So does this one. And then, oh, here's an achievement hook. Right. Bam. Right. None of this. Okay. It's an upside down castle or it's a negaverse. Like the original Zelda was a brand new map. So we got to design all this content all over again. Right. Yeah. None of that. It's just simple and effective. I like it. Right. And then, you know, Invisible Link has the thing where, like, the actual campaign is kind of short. You know, you can beat it in, like, 10 or, 10 or so hours. Um, but then, like, because it's procedurally generated, the next time you play it, it's, you know, a much different game. And you can also, like, increase the difficulty uh, through the fact that, like, oh, you can't use rewinds or something. Right. Hmm. I, it's a pretty common pattern. And I think it's something that we haven't really figured out how to embrace in our games so far. Yeah. Uh, which is that like you can go through the game again with some small changes that make it much more difficult. Yeah. So, okay. Have you seen Cutthroat Kitchen? Yeah, of course. You're familiar with Cutthroat Kitchen? Yep. So I've been watching some recently while I'm eating lunch or whatever. And for those who aren't familiar, because I'm sure we've got somebody, it's a Food Network cooking competition show like Betch talk about sometimes here on Lost Cast. And I had some good insights from the show recently that I want to share. Here's the, the very brief concept. Four chefs show up. They're each arbitrarily given $25,000. And uh, there's a round of cooking. And it'll be like, oh, cook a panini or, or cook, you know, uh, eggs benedict or like spaghetti or something. They get a dish to cook. Then they have a couple of uh, rounds of auctions where they can bid on sabotages for their opponents. And the Example would be like, oh, replace all their flour with, uh, you know, rye bread. They have to bake breadcrumbs or something. Or like, you know, uh, you're like, supposed to make like nice Italian sausage or something. And you'll replace all their sausage with like, you know, tofu dogs or something. I saw one where it was like you had to, they're making some kind of Mexican dish. Right. And uh, one of the items that was for sabotage was uh, frozen burritos. Oh. And so you had to use, <laughs> your only tortillas could come from the frozen burritos. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of wacky situations like that, right? Um, another one would be, here's an apron that's sized for two people and two of your competitors have to get in it together and then they have to share their time. They're almost yeah. like a two-headed giant, like, like Cho'Gall or something. Awesome. Um, another one was you have to give away all of your knives and you have this claw hand, right? like Wolverine. It's like, I saw one where he's like, it's like the claw hand's like taped to their arm with duct tape. Right. My favorite so- one though, <laughs> I have to interject really quick. <laughs> The tiny kitchen. The tiny kitchen, exactly. I uh, like the tiny kitchen. The tiny kitchen, I think, is going to be one of my examples of good game design. It's like you have all the same utensils that you would otherwise have, but it's yeah. like this little miniature kitchen for children. <laughs> yeah. So there's two categories of things I want to talk about in this game. There's, I don't even know what to label them, but let's say just, there's category A, okay? And this is like pure game design. And then there's category B, which is like bulk of content, okay? So, so category A is stuff like you can choose one item to take out of your opponent's basket. Because I, I didn't say this part. You have 60 seconds to shop uh, in their little, they have like a little, you know, 
kitchen miniature, or pantry or whatever. Like a pantry refrigerator area, right? And it's not actually shopping. You're not buying. You just you go in there and you fill, you have one basket to fill. You can put whatever you want in there in 60 seconds. And so hopefully you get all of your ingredients. It's kind of like a shopping spree, but there's three other people in there with you. And it's like right. uh, 10 by 10 room or something. It's, it's tiny. Yeah. And it's probably crazy in there. And you don't have a lot of time. And you have to think about your dish and everything. So that would be example to me of a, a like a pure game design sabotage, right? Is you can take one item from their basket. Or here's another one. You can switch two baskets from two of your competitors. Right, like one yeah. person might be like, "What was this person thinking? I don't know what to do with this basket. Why do they have strawberries in here? This is a savory dish." Like, that's a that's a pure game design thing. Here's another one: um, you can make one of your opponents wait five minutes. They're all based on rules that already exist in the game, and there's no like necessarily content in it. Right, like like new stuff. Like, here's this claw hand, or here's this double apron. Right. And so I prefer this, the pure game design ones. Um, here's one I think they did once, which I really loved, was the dish was something like, you know, a, a club sandwich, right? And the sabotage was you can choose one of the chefs, and that chef has to make a sweet dish. Hmm. And maybe it wasn't club sandwich. Maybe it was like, you know, lasagna or something. But boy, would that throw you for a loop, right? Make a sweet lasagna. What? <laughs> and it's, there's nothing like there's no, oh, you have to wear a horse helmet while, while you're playing or like you have, to wear, you have to wear spring shoes or your hands are constantly on fire. There's no dumb horse <laughs> like that, you know? It's just like pure game design. Like take a savory dish, make it sweet or maybe even vice versa, right? I'm pretty sure I could make a great dish with my hands on fire. <laughs> Couldn't we all? Hey, you don't need any, any heat source. You've got your hands. Exactly. So the other one, though, like the other category is stuff we've been talking about, like the double apron. Um, it's a really common th- thing to take away their tools and give them some dumb crap. One time somebody gave them a, a cement mixer. They were making cake. Oh, man. And they had a cement mixer with this giant thing. And so they had this mixer constantly going. They were throwing their ingredients in there and it was just a damn mess. Um, I do like the tiny kitchen because I do think it's still in category A, even though it's got category B traits where it's like, here's some dumb content. We had to go buy this stupid kitchen <laughs> and make it ready and like food safe and stuff, right? But really what it is, is it's just a scale thing. Like we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, right? Like scaling where it comes to taking something from one to N or if it comes from just doubling something's size, it, it, you've already got your kitchen, your little you know workstation to cook your food and you just take that and you just, woo, you just shrink it down. You know, you could do the same thing. I could see a hilariously large one. Wouldn't that be funny? Yeah. It's like twice the size of what you're normally used to. Your knife is like hilariously huge. And it's you're like, like, what do I do with all this? It's like wielding a two-handed sword, right? Yeah. When you're trying to use your knife. That's kind of what the cement mixer looked like because yeah. they had all these giant tools to, to mess with it. And so because it's just a scaling thing, changing the variables of things that already exist in the game design without introducing new content, I think that's more category A and I like it a lot. Yeah. But that's the thing about the show is the show would be pure and less kind of stupid and more based on skill and stuff like that if it was mostly category A stuff. But the category B stuff is exciting. It's surprising. And it's probably the reason a lot of people watch the show because a lot of people probably find cooking shows to be very dry and very bland. Like, dude, they're cooking sh- like food. There's no there's no high stakes. Like, I'm not that interested in food, right? But it's like, hey, do you want to watch someone you know, <laughs> cook lasagna with Wolverine claws. And you're like, that sounds kind of hilarious actually. Right. <laughs> but the problem is when you've got simple game design rules, right? You know, here's, here's some simple things you can always do to your opponents, right? I can give you a five minute penalty. I can, you know, replace all, your, even something simple. Like I can replace all your cookware with plastic or something like that. You know, if it's all simple game design stuff, switch your baskets, this person waits, 
Uh, what was another thing they did? Oh, it switched stations halfway through. That would really throw you for a loop, wouldn't it? Mm. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's like the switching a basket thing, but it's like you've already progressed through the cooking, so you're like, you have to react to what they were doing and hope you know what they what they were up to, you know? Yeah. Um. Anyway, the... Like, just imagine having to come up with 100 new challenges that are of category B. You know, here's a giant fork you have to use, or, you know, <laughs> you're, now your head is on fire. Like, that kind of crap, right? <laughs> that's, that's the expensive part, I think. Like, when you look at something like Soul Thief, you know, it's less the, the pure game design challenges, and it's more, oh, man, we got to come up with 25 new monsters, and each one of them has to feel quite different from the others, you know? Yeah. And so um, I've been looking at that show as just an example of just various things you can do with, with, uh, with your game design. I think that something that I was remembering earlier when you're talking about scale was like, you know, in Mario Brothers, there, there's been, I think at least in Mario Brothers 1 and in, and in 3, there's the giant world, right? And it feels different. I don't even... know about 1. No, is it, is it not in 1? Is it only in 3? Mm, it is for 3 for sure, yeah. World 7, I want to say. Anyways... Yeah, that was World Four, but anyways. No, I think you're right. It might be World Four. Uh, the point is, is that like, it, it it's really not mechanically any different than any other level, right? But the feeling of scale makes it feel different. Yes, and that's something that we uh, haven't really done a good job with, right? Like, and yeah. and and it's stupid because like I can point to games <laughs> in my gaming history, like Mario Brothers Three. Or um, Shining Force 2, right? Where there, there's like a battle in Shining Force 2 where you get shrunk and you're oh, yeah. playing on a chessboard. Chess, yeah. And I'm like, that's so cool. Yeah. And uh, But it, it, that battle is no different than anything else. In fact, it's probably a really easy battle for them to develop because like, you know, you got, oh, here's like eight pawns. And right. they all act the same way. Like the chess pieces are actually like pretty stupid monsters, <laughs> right? <laughs> AI-wise or whatever. Right. Also, probably graphic-wise, it's probably a much easier thing. I mean, yeah. it is to draw. You know, here's a bishop versus here's a lizard man wearing chainmail wielding a fire axe. Right, like, and like that's just got, harder to draw. Yeah, and he's got animations and stuff, and like yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's a good point. Scale, scale, everybody. Scale, yeah, I like scale a lot. I I think it it could be one of our core tenets down the road. I could see as like this is something I like to bake into my games. You know. Is because it's so interesting. That's one of the things I've talked a little bit about Attack on Titan, right? Yes. Yeah. I don't know if I probably talked about it in the show, but that's one of the things I think is so interesting is that like the core, you know, antagonist in the show are these giant, dumb human things that eat people. And for the most part, they look just like humans just scaled way the hell up. And there's different scales too. There's like a like they label them based on the how how many meters tall they are. And so they'll be like, Oh, it's a three to five meter Titan, and those are tiny and kind of just like really big huge people right but then there's 15 then there's a 50 meter as well so wow. the scale goes from like maybe a couple of people could take it down to like that thing's huge run <laughs> right he's gonna like step on our entire city right and i've i thought i spent a lot of time thinking about that show i've watched it twice it had a deep impact on me i find it i find it just so disturbing and i've thought about it would it be different if it was different kinds of monsters if it was like lizards attacking the people it would be totally different i don't think it would have had nearly the effect on me it's because it really is just scaling up people and now they're villainous it's crazy yeah i I guess that kind of like you know maybe that gets back to the discussion we're having earlier about making things too complicated right like i think that one of our biggest achilles heels with game development has been not being able to scale the content 
and, and the mechanics easily. Like, yeah, we don't, we get to a point where we, we create some mechanics and then when it comes time to scale them, we're like, Hey, let's add more mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> instead, much. Inst- instead of like, you know, Oh, let's create a whole bunch of content around this very singular focus mechanic. It's more like we just keep creating mechanics until some time has passed. <laughs> So I think a good example of simplicity would be, as we talked about in the podcast before, V, the six Vs. Yes. And the reason for it is because the game is very simple. It's a side-scoring platformer. It's got a retro-looking feel, so it was very simple to develop, uh, at least on the art side. It's got um, one simple mechanic, which is you don't jump, you switch gravity. And, you know, a lot a lot of content was made out of that. And a, a lot of the changes, you know, were, were very simple, right? Like, oh, here's this new thing, like this little wire that you can kind of jump when you're touching. Or like, you know, oh, here's spikes in the roof. Or like, here's moving platforms. And I feel like that was scaled out. I don't know what to call that, vertically or horizontally. But it was like, instead of, oh, here's a brand new mechanic every time that requires me to make 12 new monsters and that kind of crap, it was more like, here's, this, here's a platform. And that moves around, and that enabled me to make like ten new levels. Right, and each one kind of feels different than the other because of the way the rooms are designed or whatever. You need to have an item in your game of development that, when you collide with it, it switches your gravity. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, very easy to do. Very easy to do. And imagine like how much different of a level you can make with that singular wow. entity. Dude, you're totally right. So let's analyze game of development because. Um, Oh, can I find these? Let me move around here. I had these t- these tenets when I was making the game. I like how I'm I'm like close to having a. I don't even, I don't even know what what word to use anymore. I can't say finished anymore because that's always crap. But like I have something playable at this point. Oh yeah, here they are. Fast to ship, sellable hook, cheap content, big possibility space, and emergent slash surprising gameplay. Mm. So that's a lot to keep in mind when you're trying to create something new right yes but um and what was the other thing i don't know what to call this but like uh the test of the content right like is it when we need new content do we just have to slap new mechanics in there because they're expensive to make or is it pure like better anyway let's let's go through that so fast to ship i think is decent because i've been working on it not even full time right because like soul thief still exists and i have other crap but like (laughs) I feel like I've been able to move pretty quick with it. I don't know. You know, I was saying earlier, I think the common feedback is that you just need more. So in three months, I wasn't able to make something that people would call complete. Right. But I mean, like three months, as we've learned, is like, that's not really enough time to make a full game experience that you want to sell to people. Right. Yeah. It's just not. I mean, there's no way. (laughs) I I feel like the sellable hook is there, but it might just be because I think game development is really cool. You know, yeah. like, develop your own game for fame and fortune. Awesome. But I think some other people might be like, where's the blow up the monsters? Where's the, ex- where's the explosions? Where's the cast spells and take over the world, you know? Yeah. Um, cheap content. So I, I guess that's the one we were talking about. So, because, like, I have been thinking about that from the get-go, and I've been thinking about, like, these content packs as, as I think about them in my head. Like, a content pack for Soul Thief is mind-blowingly expensive. <laughs> like, okay, how about this? Time estimate for the playroom dungeon from scratch to done. In an ideal scenario? Yeah. Well, you'd want, obviously, at least five monsters and at least two to three different kinds of traps. Yep. You'd want a different tile set. Yep. You'd want items 
and, and stuff that were maybe unique to that area. You'd or complemented it really well, yeah. Yeah, you, you'd want to give it its own feel, right? Like all yeah. the monsters would, you know, it's kind of like how the Wizard's Lab has teleporters and stuff. Like you'd want to give right. it like a unique flavor. Yeah. Um, and all those things are expensive. New layouts. New layouts. And yeah, yeah you'd want new room, room layouts. And like you'd, in an ideal world, you'd, you'd want the procedural generator to lay out the path of the dungeon a little differently too. Like it would be nice if, you know, uh, you know, one one dungeon was like, oh, this one's more like a circle, and this one's more spread out, and this one's more right. a lot of connected corridors, and this one's you know not so many connected corridors or something. Yeah, but yeah, plus it's, a, a boss it, or two. It's hugely expensive. Yeah. So, like, seriously, probably two months for the two of us full time. Yeah, I would have confidence saying from start to finish. Like one month, we could probably get most of the stuff in there, but it would be like, unfortunately, some of the content is right now where it's like you know, Wizard's Lab. Like, okay, yeah, no, it's it's playable and it's, it feels pretty good, but like, yeah, you know, there's no boss and it needs two more monsters at least. <laughs> right. So it's got that kind of unfinished feel. I, I think, yeah, two months full-time, that's really expensive for, that's one, like, content pack. And I don't know what that is for game of development. I, I guess it would be, here's a new entity. For example, like, um, I wanted to, okay, what did you say earlier to add? Like a gravity switching Okay, so a little entity, and if you touch it, it switches gravity, yeah. right? So I create that entity, a very simple graphic for it, and a retro aesthetic is 16 by 16 pixels. That'll take like 10 minutes. The actual code, because it's gravity, it would need to actually get into the game systems right. and like the jump system and stuff like that. It's a little more expensive than normal, but it'd still be very simple. Um, I would need to add a product so it's in the store so you can buy it, and accompanying that would need to be a game that I design myself that showcases that entity in a good fashion. That so sounds like, oh, like here's a, a week. Um, maybe half a day. You think for all that stuff? Yeah. Oh, well. I could bang that out today. I was saying a week was a conservative estimate. Wow. <laughs> it was just a lot for like play testing and you know iteration sure, and collision sure. issues or whatever. Honestly, it would end up being more like um, two days. Yeah. Because that's how estimations work. And, and you're right. Like, it, it would be smart to actually let people play test it and get some feedback and, you know, iterate on it instead of just, it's done. It's working. Let's ship it and never look at it again. Yeah. I think that um, it, it's like the Soul Thief teleporters kind of hit a very similar note, right? Where, like, they're fun in and of themselves, but they also interact with the other uh, yeah. things in the world in a, in a really interesting way. And I feel like that Gravity Switcher could as well, right? Like, yeah. Imagine one level where you're introduced to it where you can hit the switch yourself. That's the only way that the gravity ever changes. Right. And then in a different level, there's like a bouncing ball that, you know, it hits, hits the, the switch. Hits the switch in an interval. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Um, so that brings us into like the big, piss, big, <laughs> big possibility space and like the emergent gameplay. I think this game clearly has both of those. The possibility space, um, I think it, it, there's a problem that some of the playtesters pointed out, which is that like, you can get kind of formulaic with how you make your, your games, right? Like, as long as you include a bunch of entities and you have a decent amount of gameplay, you don't really have to design the most spectacular game in order for it to sell well in this fantasy digital market, right? right. But I think that's okay because it's... The way I think about it in my mind is kind of the same as a, um, a role-playing game. Like, if you want to play, you know, Dragon Warrior and you want to gain a bunch of levels, you can just kind of grind it out. And you're not really doing anything fantastic. You're just clubbing monsters to death and going to the inn and sleeping and rinse and repeating. Or you can go and look for monsters that give you higher yield of experience and you can really risk it by getting herbs and pushing yourself out there and um, maybe even searching for like, you know, uh, oh, the silver slimes that give you crazy experience, that kind of thing. So you can be more 
creative with it if you want, but it does have that where like, look, if you just want to grind it out, you can. Yeah, I, I I understand that analogy, but I think that it doesn't necessarily work as well in this particular case because in this case, like the the grind is not that grindy, right? The problem with RPGs is that if you want to play it safe and get low yield XP, but really easy and grindy, it's going to take you longer time-wise. Whereas in game of development, that's not the case, hmm. right? It's It takes you longer to make a cool game yes, it takes that, you... that might even not perform as well given the game's algorithms for rating it. Yes, it's like takes you longer mm-hmm. and the reward is less. And so there's no incentive, right, to, right. to, to make a good level. Yeah, that's that's kind of that might be the biggest flaw of the game right now. I think it probably is, and like it's it's an interesting thing when you think about game design, right? Like, you don't always think about that piece, right? Like when you're envisioning this game and you're thinking about all the work that goes into making content, I doubt you were thinking about, hey, I need this really great AI essentially that's going to evaluate a player's game and score it based on some criteria, and that AI needs to be robust enough and tweaked enough where it produces the scores that i would want it to produce given how the player makes their level right but that's that's a really complicated piece of that that game but maybe the most complicated piece of the game yeah it very well might be i spent a lot of time on like the rating and the analyzing of your playtest data and stuff like that i think honestly like when i played your game that was something that i noticed too and i would say that that would probably be the next biggest priority is to figure out a way where that system rewards uh, innovation instead of not. I do think it's doable. I think it's doable too. The game requires you to play test your games before publishing, publishing them. So they need to be possible to play. And when you're doing that, you create a bunch of play test data. So I know lots of stuff about your game. I know where everything is. I know how much time you spent making it. I knew, I know how many iterations you went on. I know how much, like, if you deleted stuff and redid it and changed the character and changed the background color a lot. I know all that stuff. You know, like, it's, it's just there in, in the game. So I can look at all those metrics and give you a rating based on that. You can. And, but, you know, the, the flip side of this coin, right, is that the system also needs to be understandable to the player, right? Like, yep. as a player, I want to know... Or, or be able to have a pretty good idea of like what I should be doing to get a higher score. You know, yeah, it's not fun to just be like, okay, what does this system want for me? Does it want tiles here, here, and here? Like, does it want to see four or five different kinds of objects in the same world? Yeah. Does it penalize me for using too many of the same object? Mm. You, you know, like like it, it's there's a lot there. It's a lot there, yeah. And like that, that's actually a really difficult balance, right? To get to the point yeah. where it's like it rewards, you know what we would consider playing the game correctly, uh, but also isn't so confusing and esoteric that the player doesn't understand what the game wants from you. Yeah, so the algorithms are very hidden right now. Obviously, they just live in code, and the way they're bubbled up in the game is through various means, and it it all feels kind of um, spread out and kind of vague sometimes. On the plus side, it is kind of like real game development, where it's all guesswork. Nobody really knows what they're doing, and your feedback is kind of all over the place and sometimes contradictory. And right? how, how rewarding does that feel? <laughs> it's not. You know, it's not. Like a game, <laughs> I, I do think a game should be more rewarding than that. I, so, like, I'm okay with it in regards to, like, it's a decent analog to real life, but the problem is that that version of real life sucks. I hate that, <laughs> I hate that part of life where you get, like, a review one day, it's like, good job, and review the next day, it's like, you suck. And you're like, where... 
<laughs> like, what do you do? What do I do? Um, I think a problem too is that like coming up with a perfect algorithm that is also messaged well to the player is kind of inherently po- uh, impossible. It, it's just like crazily problematic, and it's going to be always opaque to some people, and and that's kind of an issue, you know. Yeah, I think the other way to take this this idea would be to make it more of like a Minecraft type thing. Like not, you know, Minecraft the game, but like the idea that like you're not you're not trying to play like you're not trying to beat Minecraft. Right. Right? Like you're just trying to create interesting stuff and you know, if there was a way that you could share your levels with other people, you know, that might Yeah negate the need to have like this really complicated algorithmic scoring system, right? Because it's more like yeah. You know, your game is played by real people, and when they play it, they can rate it. And if your game gets enough ratings, like that determines how much money you make in your virtual world. Yeah. So I think that making your game shareable is uh, something the game just begs for, right? It's very common feedback to get. And some people are even just like, how do you share your games with, with people? Because it's such an obvious thing that it should be a feature in the game, right? Right. Um, doable i mean you know how it is like the game already has oauth so that's got a leg up on it the problem being like do i want to set up my own server no maybe i could just integrate with steamworks eh? like does that sound doable based on your experience with greenworks um I, it's probably doable i mean it's just a json string right i can just right. go like here just take some like just take this text and give it back to me after a while <laughs> that's it's really simple because like the game data itself that you're actually saving it's just a there's nothing complicated there it's like a bunch of properties in an array yeah it's basically just like how do you get this json blob from one person to another yeah so uh, if greenworks you know is set up to tap into steamworks and steamworks will let me you know place some text on a server and then fetch it from a different user that could be pretty doable yeah it could be and um you know maybe that is I, i'm not saying this is true but maybe that's a better use of your time than you know, fighting back and forth with this yeah. very vaguely defined AI yeah. algorithm. So I think that was my inkling from the beginning was I'm just going to make this system that lets you publish your games, right? Because it gives you some reason to play. Kind of like you were saying, you know, like when I was playing Minecraft in the early days, there was no actual game. There was no win condition. There was not even really goals. It was just, here's a really cool sandbox with cool stuff in it. Have fun. And that's kind of always been what this game is. It's just here's this little tool that lets you make a side-scrolling platformer game lightning fast and it's pretty fun and you can experiment rapidly and there you go. And oh, hey, here's a online marketplace, like a fake version of Steam just for fun, right? And the problem is it's kind of gotten out of control, <laughs> right? Like the thing is that it, it's, it cannot stand up to the weight that it needs. And so um, there's even like a, a Band-Aid feature I added, which is that uh, you can buy a product that lets you analyze your game and the game will look at your, you know, your playtest data and everything you've got, and it'll kind of give you recommendations. It's like, oh, hey, you should have more entities, or you should buy more stuff from the store, or you should, you know, actually jump in your game, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it does, it, you know, it's kind of tacked on to the side, and it's sort of buried. It does feel like a band-aid feature. Yeah, and that's uh, it's a trap we've fallen into many times before, right? Like, you, yeah. when you have to create a new feature to account for the crappiness of another feature, <laughs> right? Like that's <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. <laughs> You're duct like, tape need some duct tape <laughs> so i do think though that you know let's say the whole game was geared around you make your little games and you publish them uh in an online store where people other people can play them other people can rate them and then you could see like oh hey you got the best time you know like um that sounds amazing to me is uh like a high score table for your game right that sounds pretty cool and if that's all doable because I, I don't want to build all that 
server and maintain it myself. No, uh, no, yeah. Like, I might if I have to, but if it's doable with Steam and I can get the game on Steam, uh, then that does sound like a really good way to go. And it would release a lot of the pressure on the marketplace to have a good algorithm to bubble up to the player what's going on and to not be frustrating to deal with. Yeah. It's hard, though. I think that, you know, it, it's tough because the bare-bones version of sharing levels is much harder to do than the bare-bones version of a, an AI in single-player mode that just evaluates your game and gives you money. Yeah, exactly. But, like, the to get the AI thing to the next level is very difficult. Right. Right? Like, it takes a lot of tweaking and a lot of time and a lot of just playing with numbers and seeing how people create levels and how they're, you know, essentially gaming the system, right? Like, and, uh, and that, that's not, that's not a problem that necessarily goes away with multiplayer, right? Yeah. Uh, you could still have people gaming the system because that's like, you know, the system has rules and once people figure out what those rules are, they're going to exploit them to, to their advantage, right? Yeah. And like, at least the game right now has like, you can't screw up other players. You can't upset <laughs> right. anybody else, right? <laughs> Uh, but if it had, if it had online features, it would be like, hey, this guy is screwing with my game. This person's clearly cheating and you know owning the charts or whatever. Yeah. Or you know, here's the inevitable thing: is someone just drew a bunch of, d- and that's that's their quote game they just published, and people have to see that, right? <laughs> inevitable, right? Yeah. Like that will happen. It's like when uh, I remember when Spore came out, and it was like the creature creator. Yeah. I feel like they they released the creature creator before Spore even came out. Mm-hmm. And it was like you know, genital monsters, of course, <laughs> were like the first thing that <laughs> appeared on the internet. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep, that's it. I I love the internet community. So what I've done to myself because I'm a stupid man is I now have two games that are in that point where they're like near some type of finish line, <laughs> but really not that near. <laughs> Maybe I'll start a new game now. So close, but yet so far. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. That's the thing with uh, with game of development. I was really wanting to challenge myself to finish something, and I was wanting to challenge myself to uh, do it quickly, <laughs> yes. as opposed to you know a wizard lizard, which took overall. If if you look at the humble humble version, and then the Steam version, and all the maintenance we did, and the updates, and everything, probably two years on and off of development, right? Yeah. And Soul Thief has had. Maybe six months of full time, maybe up to a year of. That's ah, more like a year. Let's be honest with ourselves. Yeah, but okay. Like, look at the last three months, right? Yeah, I don't know. I would say six months full time, maybe another six months of part time, something like that. A, a chunk of time to be sure. Uh, but I just wanted to move fast and see what I could produce in a, in like, in like basically three months was my target, and it's been about that. So yeah, well, I think part it's... of me is like I should keep working on it, and make it better, like people say. Another part of me is like kick it out the door, move on with your life. <laughs> <laughs> be done with something you know I, uh, I i totally understand that i think that it's hard right now for me to see that as the best best path forward yeah i don't know maybe it's just being cynical or being scared or whatever but like i feel like it's almost worse to put out an unfinished product mm-hmm. too early uh and, and call it done right like we're not talking about like, hey, get some feedback and iterate early and like keep working sure. on it. We're talking about like calling this thing done, sticking a fork in it and calling it a complete experience. This is a hard part too, is trying to imagine the game, right? 
especially when like i don't know i think this the smarter indie, indie developers <clears throat> these days like they'll probably just pick a game and and copy it because that's smart and that's what a lot of players want you know like the whole thing with oh castlevania symphony of the night i'm making my own version of that or super metroid or you know even zelda i'm making my own spin on that right the problem with this whole thing is like what even is it because I, I i have been trying to break new ground right at least try something like i can't point to a specific game and be like it's exactly like this one i can certainly point to a bunch of different games like okay yes it does have elements of super mario brothers it's a retro side-scrolling platformer it does have elements of game dev tycoon where you make a game put it in a market and it makes some money for you right and then it does have elements of mario maker or what did someone else say not, not even really a game rpg maker <laughs> I was going to it say, it's the part, editing element. It's kind of like a cross to me between Game Dev Tycoon and Mario Maker. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, Yeah. right? But, like, even if those two things aren't wholly original, I am at least pleased with the fact that they haven't been combined yet. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's okay. But the thing is, like, what is that cohesive vision from the get-go? Can you adhere to that throughout the end? And then, like, at the point where I'm currently at, like, can I see a version of the game that people would be satisfied with and would be happy to pay like 10 bucks for or something, you know? Yeah. And I don't know what that would be right now. I mean, let's say online features are added. Okay. Let's say there's five more entities, right? And then let's say I add a story element where there's like a competing developer that you want to beat or something. I bake that into the game somehow. And then let, like, okay, maybe all that adds up to 10 hours of gameplay. Like, is that good enough? Would, is, would, would it then be at a, a spot where it could actually withstand the punishment of the market? Uh, if I knew that, I would probably be making more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's, that's where it's at right now. I, I'm thinking what I should probably do is um, put I, it down at least for a little while. Oh, I let, let, let some feedback come in. What were you going to say? I thought you'd say, like, you know, put it down, like, take it out back and pull it up. Bullets. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe I should. Sometimes yeah. I... I want to do that with all all my things. Would you like to hear my opinion? <laughs> I don't care what you think. You don't have a choice. I'm recording. <laughs> you can't stop me. That's true. The people will hear my message. The people. It's yes. for the people. Uh, I would say that instead of five entities and a little bit of story and online, mm -hmm. you should pick 50 entities. <laughs> oh my God. That's the game that I would be more interested in playing, right? Because oh, like, man. that's... If you start developing a story around your game right now, which I don't think is a bad idea, to be fair. Mm -hmm. And I know that we were talking about it just earlier in the cast, like how it would be kind of cool if there was an anta antagonistic developer. Yeah. But I feel like if you just did that and it was like as shallow as the content is now, mm -hmm. you wouldn't really get anything that much out of it. Like, I don't think it would really propel the game to, you know, success. Whereas, and story stories absorb so fast too. Yeah, it, it is. But I'm not talking about story specifically. I'm talking more about the fact that like taking one mechanic really deep, like not five more entities deep, fifty entities more deep. Like mm. that's the kind of scale that I'm thinking is something that we need. Like we don't need one to five. We need one to fifty, right? We need some kind of mechanic and enough content and enough ideas that that can be scaled to ten hours of gameplay, fifteen hours of gameplay. Wow. Not uh, there's you know three maybe or maybe five if you if you play slowly yeah <laughs> it's in the description of the game like, <laughs> develop your own games for fame and fortune please play slowly right <laughs> take it in 
smell the digital flowers along the way. Let the game dev cascade across your palette. 50 entities. Okay, so let's... Because like the game right now has entities that are pretty fun. Like um, I mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a vertical trap that goes up and down. There's a horizontal trap that goes left and right. And shoot, like, uh, it's spiky and it you know kills you when you touch it. There's a platform that goes left and right that you can jump on. There's a bouncer that's like a trampoline. There's a, I call it a fragile rock. When you touch it, it breaks away. So it creates a great, like a bridge. You have to walk over it very fast. Yeah. There's an interval rock, which uh, Mega Man fans will recognize. It turns on and off. So you can create a pattern where you need to jump here and be off the block by the time it disappears. There's various things like that, right? And let's just say there's five for easy math. So if there was 10 times that amount, do you think the game would be at a point where it's <laughs> viable? Uh, I mean, I think... I think so, because if you have, so that's like what, ten x. And if like I was saying earlier, I'm like I could do that in half a day. And if you have one to two hours of <laughs> gameplay right now, that means you have ten to twenty hours of gameplay. No problem. Let's just bang it out. Yeah. Whereas, like, if you were to add some simple story elements to the game right now, I don't think it would increase the game length. Yeah. It would just be like, okay, the one to two hours that I did spend playing this game were slightly more interesting to me because I care about the storyline, maybe. Right. Or I don't, right? Or the player's like, skip, 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 skip. I don't care. Just give me the entities. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't care who this person is. I don't care what they have to say. I just want to make a game. Uh, you know, yeah. That is usually how I, I treat dialogues. I like making them. I like making dialogue and characters and stuff like that. But I when I play games, yeah. I really do breeze through them. I think a lot of people do, but, you know. They still, know. maybe even the ones who breeze through it still appreciate it. Or yeah. they're like, you know, hey, the first time I went through the game, I, I took my time and I actually read everything with, you know, I've seen it. It doesn't change. Right. Mm. Anyways, I, you know, obviously, like, we waffle back and forth on our opinions about how things should be done. Oh, yeah. Big time. Um, but, I, you know, I think my current thinking is that our games just don't take any particular piece deep enough to, mm-hmm. be, to be really interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. I do see a scenario where because the surface area of the game is pretty small, there's a really good editor and it's really fun to use. And there's a ton, like you were saying, maybe there isn't like 50 or hundred. There's a ton of stuff you can use. And so you could have fun all day in the sandbox. And if that's backed up with, you can share the levels with your friends or just on steam or whatever, that sounds awesome. Yeah. I can think of a bunch of entities just off the top of my head, right? Like doors that open, close switches that change like the state of doors, teleporters. Yep. Yep. Uh, we talked about gravity switches. Yep. Um, you could have, um, like you have right like now, you have like the jumpers, like turn them sideways. Now you've got sideways jumpers. Like that's a totally mm. different thing. Mm. Here's something I haven't solved in the game is, let's say I've got spikes, right? I want to put some spikes in the ceiling. I guess the way to do it, or or like here's a here's a maybe more basic one. I've got let's say I've got a gun that shoots to the left. What about a gun that shoots to the right? Because I don't want to have some system where you have to like right click. And if it's just going to be two separate entities, that starts to get kind of hairy. You know, like, because if you have a, a gun that shoots, you might want up, down, then left and right. And then you've got four different entities to sort through in your list, which I don't know. I mean, the whole thing we've been talking about for a long time with the podcast is like m- simpler, spread them out. So like maybe the multiple entities is the way to go instead of having some system where like, oh, you know, something buried, some people will never, never figure out, right? Where you double click, you know, the arrow trap or whatever, and that flips it. 
yeah. where you right click to select, you know, face to the right or whatever. I don't like systems like that because nobody ever knows about them. Nobody likes to read. No one wants to. No one wants to learn your stupid system. They just want it to be as intuitive as hell. I think that I have two ideas about that. Ooh, one one is is like the most robust way to do it, and, and the not the best user experience is to have separate entities. Yeah. Um, but another way to do it might be to have the entities be contextually aware of, of where they are on the map. Mm. And so like what I'm thinking of is like a gun that fires is like, do you remember the Billy Bullet shooters from Mario? Sure. Like a lot of them are double-sided. Right. They just shoot whichever side the player's on. That or, yeah, so you could have it contextually related to the player or it could mm. be like, okay, if the block to me, to my right is solid, I'm not going to shoot to the right. I'm only going to shoot right. to the left. That's all pretty easy. Or if you put it in the middle with nothing on either side, it'll just shoot both ways, right? And like that could be an interesting thing in and of itself as well. That's true. Yeah, so I guess dodge is a problem whenever possible. Yeah, like don't, yeah, I agree with you completely about like not wanting to add complexity to the editor. But it seems like duplicating entities is like the easy but not the most elegant way. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a left-right spike and this is an up-down spike. Or whatever, right? Like, th- that one's not as big of a deal, right? But, like, yeah, I think you get re- what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I can definitely see um, just adding entities all day. You know, I mean, hell, I could just go play a Mario game and get inspired by, oh, hey, the, you know, the blocks that fall on you from the ceiling. Or, like, you know, the, uh, the slag tights. Right. Right? When you walk, like, cast from Castlevania. When you walk underneath them, they fall down on your head. Hey, there you go. There's an entity. And, like I said earlier, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about a half day for all of them, but quick pretty quick especially when you compare content like okay here add a new monster to soul thief well here's at least a day maybe two here's something else that we you haven't even really touched in your game is is the idea of monsters right like yeah almost all of the hazards you have are like um objects objects right like you yeah. could have a thing that that bounces right like it has like a angular trajectory and it bounces around and, and based on the geometry of the world like you have to get out of its way in certain places right yeah I guess you have like moving spikes which go left and right and up and down, but you know, there could you be something that goes on yeah. angles. And you can't destroy them. That's a common thing with monsters, right? right? Is like most monsters you can get rid of. Whereas, you know, if you can't destroy those spikes or something, like not many games let you do that anyway. Right. But it's like an interesting game design thing, right? Because like the way to deal with the spike hazard is you have to dodge it. That's it. Yeah. Or you have to find a way around it or whatever. But with a monster hazard, you can cause it. To get killed by spikes, you could step on its head if that's how the game works. Right. You could have them hit each other or something. Who knows? Yeah. Or or you could also just jump over it, right? Like, uh, you know, in Mario, right? You can jump on a Goomba's head. You could just jump over the Goomba completely. Like, you have options for how to deal with it. And I think that that choice is always interesting. Yeah. So here's here's one thing I'm kind of proud of uh, is when I was... So when you unlock a new product, you have to play a competitor's game, right? And so I had to make a game that had some kind of rigid rules for each of the games I was making. Right. And so it'll be like, oh, here you're going to unlock the bouncer. So I have to make a game that showcases the bouncer. And my first pass was just, here's some crap I threw together real fast. And then I did another pass where I was like, here's something just a little bit better than crap. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then I went through each of the games specifically, and I had this like mantra, which was, for one, each new thing you discover, it gives you this nice little sandbox to play with it in an isolated, comfortable, safe space. Right. So there's right. no danger. Right. And like I went back and I played a version of it where it was like the first level that has the platforms that move left and right that you can stand on. 
it like it was so mean it like starts you over a bed of spikes so like if you didn't understand the platform or if you're bad at jumping or something you're just like dead 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 and i was like brutal you know so that was that was one tenant was it's going to give you a comfortable safe place to, to experiment and then two every level has at least two paths there's an easy and a hard and sometimes uh, the easy path is ridiculously easy, and sometimes the hard path is ridiculously hard. But there's always, for one, the easy path always takes longer, and the hard path um, is more difficult, <laughs> but you can do it faster. Right. I like that. I think that's a really good thing. And, and, and this is another place where I think that we fall down a lot, is that we make our games too hard by default. Yep. Uh, because we are playing... like we, We're we, experts. Yeah, we, we tend to play them how we would play them as experts of the game. Yeah. And, uh, and, and honestly, that's an easy way to stretch out the content, right? Like, yeah. you can make four or five levels, probably, that incorporate the bouncy block. Yeah. And then the very first one should be like, here's a bouncy block, and you can get to the exit without even using it, if you really want to. Right. Or maybe you have to use it, but it's like, that's the only thing that exists in the level. Yeah. And it's very clear, like, okay, you jump here, you get on the bouncy block, and then it bounces you to the finish, you're done. Right. And the next one is like, oh, here's the same idea, but like maybe there's some spikes. Right. And then, you know, it starts to get more complicated with like, okay, now there's like a moving, bouncing, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I really do like that it has that thing um, that we've been wanting to accomplish for a while where it's like, you know, the more pieces you add, the more complex it gets and the pieces harmonize together really well. Yeah. For example, the, the moving platform, you can put spikes on it <laughs> or you can put a bouncer on top of it. Nice. And like the physics are are janky because like the the bouncer will almost fall off the top of of the head when it moves around and stuff like that. Huh. I'll have to t- tighten that up or whatnot. But like it's so it's so satisfying to to like put the pieces together, and and they marry. You know, like right. like I went from having spikes to now having moving spikes because I put them on the platform's head. And like when you're on a platform with a bouncer on top of it, I don't care who you are. That's kind of hard. Oh, same. I was just thinking of another scenario, right? Where you have like a moving block. Right, and it's just a moving block, but then like you pair it with a teleporter, and the moving mm. block hits the teleporter. It teleports to a different side of the screen, mm. and now it keeps going, hits the wall, comes back, hits the same teleporter. Now it Ooh. comes back to the place it was previously. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Ship that. <laughs> yeah, I guess it just needs more, and maybe what it needs is just what people are saying. It needs a buttload more content, and it needs online, <laughs> and then ship it. I would say that online is like it would be a nice to have. But I would definitely yeah. say that it needs more entities. Stuff. Entities, yeah. Like it needs to take that game dev editor to to scale. Yeah. The problem with online too is um, it would need to be on Steam first if I'm going to try to integrate it with Steam. Uh, also, Steamworks. if you are going to leverage Steam, then it's going to be Steam only for that major feature. Yeah, I'm which, okay with that. I mean, yeah. you know, if we're honest, the vast, vast majority of our players coming through Steam. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to discount the, you know, hundreds of people who, who do buy our stuff on our own website, but like the sad fact is it's, it's not going to pay our bills. It's not going to pay for the, for the feature. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I completely agree with you, but yeah. I always have these reservations about like our games Platform right now. Lock-in. Yeah. Like they yeah. exist on Steam. We make most of our money on Steam, but they don't have to be on Steam. Like nothing about our games necessitates right. Steam. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I like that. I do too. I got to say, yeah, I like keeping stuff DRM free and, you know, for people who don't like to use Steam, I really do like being able to offer them, hey, Humble, man, it's great. It's DRM free, pay what you want, pay with Bitcoins if you want, you know, I like all that. Yeah. Um, But I also don't want to build my own server. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and maintain it. Yeah, makes sense. Anywho, yeah, that's that's my game of development. I should just call it Indie Game Sim. Oh, it sounds fun. It's uh, If nothing else, it's fun to discuss. <laughs> and it, it's fun I'll to play. I'll make that the slogan. <laughs> game of development. Buy it now on Steam. It's fun to discuss. You, you need the <laughs> if nothing else part. If nothing else. <laughs> All right, well, good stuff. That's going to be it for this week. Sorry we missed out on Tuesday, but you got a little bit of an extra long podcast today. So join us on the forum, forum.lastdecadegames.com, and we'll see you in a week. Ship it.
Flapcast.